Welcome to another edition of Boilers Extra. I'm Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier, along with Mike Carmen, also from the Journal and Courier. What a coincidence. <laughs> and for, for the first time in a while, we're podcasting without the gloom and specter of a coaching change hanging over us. It's kind of a, I feel unburdened. I feel refreshed as we, as we start December. Well, I, uh, I've already claimed the hashtag BromWatch2019. <laughs> Might as well get it out going early. <laughs> get that started. <laughs> you should do this. Would be a very like Buzzfeedy kind of um, clickbait story. Like top five candidates to potentially hire Jeff Brom next. Well, I think I think there's a couple already out there. One being the Green Bay Packers. That's that was interesting. <laughs> that that I the other people have commented on that. Um, I think there's going to be some more NFL openings too before before long but i mean louisville now off the board they have officially hired a coach ohio state has made a coaching change apparently and is promoting from within for its head coach so that's two of the big threats that people have always thought lurked in the shadows that are allegedly off the board and now we'll see i i don't know you know obviously my mike bobinski talked to you last week um said that there is some sort of a contract change coming correct um there is a board of trustees meeting this week i don't I know don't, if it's coming up th- I, that quickly i'd be surprised if it happens usually quickly it takes if you yeah now granted uh, uh based on the timeline mike bobinski told me they had they had a they had something ready to go the night before thanksgiving um which would have given them a week and a half mm-hmm. to put that together if you look last year um it was a basically a three to four month uh, negotiation to get him his uh, contract extension and, and raise his pay uh, from last year. So I, I would be I would be surprised. And there's uh, I've already checked. There's really nothing. There's nothing on the agenda mm-hmm. that says right. that's coming the, uh, this uh, this week. Uh, I, I would look for earliest January. You know, probably February, maybe March. I think where, the next one might be February. Yeah, so then you you know there's there's a lot of just lang- new language that has to get ironed out, and you know I think the shell of the whatever they're going to agree upon from a financial standpoint, you, either for Jeff and for the the you know potential you know assistant assistant coach salary pool, um, and you know there could be there could be other things regarding the buyout, and I mean the one thing we do know for sure that he got his year restored from last year. So starting in 2019, he will have a seven-year contract. Uh, that was the only information that uh, Mike, Mike, Mike Bobinski shared with me uh, regarding uh, Jeff's, Jeff's situation and his contract. So, uh, you know, I would expect a, you know, a pretty decent pay bump, which is going to put him into a stratosphere that none of us thought that Purdue would ever, ever <laughs> go. And I, as I've told people, I said, okay, let's put this in perspective a little bit. 2012, Purdue didn't pay its coach a million dollars a year. Right. And now they might be in the top, probably for sure the top 15 and maybe the top 10 where now only a handful of schools can can afford him because that's the starting point mm-hmm. for next year. Well, in, in a, again, some of this big money may be coming at the end of his contract, of a, of a new of a new contract, a new deal. We'll see how much money is up front. Um, but you're, you're getting to a place now where you're eliminating 95% of the programs that can really talk to him. And the, and the ones that can talk to him have coaches right. and aren't 
their coaches aren't leaving right right now. And right. As we as we've mentioned before, the biggest the biggest threat is probably the NFL at some point. And I I do believe he'll dip his toe in that water uh, down the line. But you know, I think I think you take him uh, at his word uh, that he, you know he there's more work to do here, uh, and he wants to do it. And uh, uh, you know, I think from a football decision standpoint, he made the right the right move. I mean, I, I just there's nobody that should disagree with that. He he just made, he made the right move from a football standpoint. There's other, there were other factors involved, being from his hometown, and and family that uh, played a big role into it. But um, you know, I think he's I think he's in the right place with this money. I mean, you, you mentioned playing in a neighborhood that we never thought we would necessarily see Purdue football do. I think it's especially the case considering he still has not won more than six games in a regular season and they're they're putting him in this sort of stratosphere. So um it's more of a preemptive strike. Right. Of anything else. And just okay, we can you know, this is Purdue. We continue to be serious about this type of thing. But well, we don't want to do this every, every year either. Right. So you, you get you get it out of the way after two years, and yeah, the record's only thirteen and twelve, and the record and the the money don't add up as far as performance and stuff like that. But you're also investing in future future performance, and um, and you know fans have high expectations, but I can tell you for a fact that the expectations are higher within the football program and also from the administration. So I mean, it's nothing. You, you may have high expectations, but they they have higher expectations of where they want to see this program go. And and I'm wondering what this means within the Big Ten, too, because you know, I guarantee you other coaches are looking at this saying, hold on a second. <laughs> I know he's done some good things there, but six wins equals five million bucks. So what does that mean for Coach X, Coach Y, when they come up for their next well, year? Well, I mean, I could throw it back at you and say, what has Lovey Smith done to earn his $5 million Oh, a certainly, year? certainly. And that was that – was, <laughs> Before he even got started, he right. was, yeah. I mean, Scott Frost now, needed to make $5 million a year because it's Nebraska. Right. And th- there's a standard there. But, no, you're right. I mean, it, you're, Purdue is now, and you've mentioned it before, Purdue's not completely setting the marketplace, but dictating the marketplace a little bit, especially maybe in maybe in the Big Ten West. Mm. Maybe in this little seven-team corner that we, that we live in every year. Maybe they are, uh, you know, Dictating to some degree what happens with some coaches' salaries uh, on the on this side of the division. Yeah, and and also, I mean, in some ways, this isn't any different than any other job. Like you, you know, the job, the, the money you make at the next job is sometimes dictated by what you're making now, and you need to, to go get a raise from the next place. It's it's about leverage and things like that. And that's you know, Illinois was buying Levy Smith away from the NFL in some respects too. I mean, he'd been a head coach in the NFL twice. You know, he possibly could have had another NFL head coaching opportunity. So they probably had to pay him that to keep him away from that sort of, now you can debate whether or not that was a prudent choice. Doesn't look especially prudent at this point, but they're still trying to build whatever. But um, no, I think it's going to be interesting because I think this was just another, this is Purdue kind of taking its shot in a lot of ways. I mean, in some ways it's, it's also putting them in an, establishing a new benchmark, I guess, for where they're going to be going forward. But this is, they see an opportunity here in a, in a moment, in a man, and they're just trying to match it up and, and hope they hope they hit it. Well, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, invest, no, no. invest in the right people and you know, do it wisely, and I think they are. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's 
this is this is kind of the shot that Purdue's going to take right now with this. You know, and in some degree, all schools take that shot. Illinois did it with Lovey Smith, thinking, yes, this is a future investment. A guy that's well known in the state, coached in the NFL, took a team to the Super Bowl, is a is a defensive genius to some some degree, and so they they've taken their shot, and it hasn't completely panned out the way they want it yet. But at some point. It either has to, or you've you've made a mistake, and you know the other coaches too. You know PJ Fleck at at, at Minnesota, um, and everybody else in the Big Ten West is, you know, probably in the in the same in the same situation where schools are kind of taking their shot. Uh, but it's just you know Purdue has now, the, the 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 reason it's. The reason that it gets talked about so much is because Purdue has never taken a shot before. Exactly. No, yeah. exactly. This is their first shot at doing it, and and it will be curious to see it pay out. But I, again, I mean, we, we both agree, not to put words in your mouth, but that if you're going to take a shot, you're doing it with this guy. I'm not yes. sure how many other coaches on your list from two years ago you'd be doing this for right now. No, and I think, again, even though – and I brought up the, the six-win thing – but just from being around this program and watching this team the last two years, it, it just looks different. Oh. It's just night and day. Like it you walks can tell. different. Yeah, it acts different. Yeah. It feels different. I mean, it's, it's just different. And, um, and, I, and I think fans see that and they know that. Um, so, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just completely different. And it, it's different in a good way. And I, based on what's coming in, what they have coming back, uh, you know, assuming they keep their, you know, a bulk of their coaching staff together and you don't see an abundance of, of guys leaving for whatever reason, then, um, yeah, it's going it, to, it, it, it'll get better. I mean, this, you know, I, this is just the floor of what this can be. But as I've been asked several times, you know, if you could, if you could put Purdue's program compare it to another program of what you want it to be, you know, it's kind of like Iowa. You want to be Iowa in some, mm-hmm. some, some degree where you're consistently in a bowl game every year. You're winning six, seven, eight games, nine games, one year, ten games another year, and then you're gearing back up to do it again. You get in the Big Ten championship game, take your chances there, but then you're going to New Year's Day Bowls, and you're in, you're in, uh, you're in decent shape that way, and you just kind of keep building and – replenishing and building and replenishing and the work is really never done at a place like Purdue and most most programs they just you just don't go in and turn on the lights and go okay yeah we're going to win eight games this year you got to keep working at it especially at a place like Purdue right and Iowa being another place where they had a coach come in who had some success and they invested him a guy who was supposedly people thought one foot out the door thought he was going to be in the NFL I think by this point and how long has Kirk Ferentz been there now 20 years I mean it seems like he's been there forever the same thing happened with Mark D'Antonio at Michigan yeah another good example yeah he came from uh, Cincinnati and the first two or three years he was always up for these jobs Mm -hmm. never took them and now Michigan State's one of the better programs right uh, in the Big Ten Um, speaking of the rest of the staff and, and I that's one of still the things that maybe gets overlooked sometimes is that one of the big reasons per, that Brahms had this kind of success is he got to bring his whole staff with him they came here intact they've been more or less than intact other than Tony Levine leaving after last season but do you anticipate that to be more or less the case going into next season right now well it is it kind of depends um, you know this is a business 
not different than other businesses. It's kind of who you know and who you want to work for. And there might be an opportunity for, for someone on the, uh, on the staff to maybe become a coordinator or mm-hmm. get a better uh, pay raise or um, just a better, maybe a better position than what they're in now. The, the one thing about Jeff's staff is they're all, um, not all of them, but most of them are kind of tied to him in some way. They came from Western Kentucky with him. Um, and so there's, there's a sense of loyalty there. There's also a sense of, they believe in what, in what he's doing and what they're doing here at Purdue. Um, so, I mean, everybody's going to look at their situation and weigh it, weigh it, uh, differently and see what they, you know, what, what's going to work best for them. Um, uh, but you know, there might be a change or two just based on the way things work. I mean, I can tell you that all. Nine of the ten assistants have contracts through 2019. There's one that doesn't, and that's uh, Kevin Wolfheisen. He's the tenth assistant. Mm-hmm. His contract is in 2018. So there might be a change there, whether that's Jeff making the change, whether that's Kevin Wolfheisen making the change. I mean, it's it's still, you know, we still don't know. We got to let the bowl, you know, let the bowl season play out and see where kind of things land, and then. You know, there's not a lot of openings right now. And that's mm-hmm. probably a, you know, thing. But you know, hostage. well, because half of football is still playing their bowl <laughs> games too. It's it's right. a it's a weird month, right? Yeah, it's 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 always is. So yeah, there's still a lot of moving, moving pieces to this whole thing. And you know, Tony Tony Levine, you know, up and left last year to get out of football. Although that's a conversation I think him and Jeff had probably throughout the year or even before Tony came here uh, about that possibility. So you don't know really what's going on behind the scenes from that standpoint. Uh, but yeah, it, it, don't be surprised if there's one or two changes and not that it's, it's bad. It's just, it's the way it works. Speaking of bowl games, Purdue learned that. And I think this, our podcast might've been the first time someone from the media was mentioning this about a week ago today, but you said don't count out Nashville as a possible bowl destination. And that's where Purdue's going for the music city bowl. They're going to play Auburn uh, just for, for people who who may not have this reference, you know, we heard a lot of potential destinations from Detroit to New York to they probably weren't going to go back to San Francisco because they had just been there last year. But Couldn't go. but but this was a, a a about the best option of of what they could have gotten with this kind of record, right? Oh, no question. I mean, I think they for a six and six team to be in Nashville, and for Purdue six and six team to be in Nashville is really it's it's a credit to what they what Jeff Brom has done, what Purdue has done, um, because you normally wouldn't get a a six a normal six and six team in Nashville like this. But there are some connections that run deep between Purdue and the Music City Bowl. And Mike Bobinski is is good friends with the the chairman Scott Ramsey. He's known him for a lot of years. Uh, he was actually trying to work Nashville into the equation last year. Hmm. But just didn't didn't pan out. Uh, Jeff Brahms knows um, uh, Dennis Lampley. Uh, he was Dennis. Dennis was Jeff's high school coach at Trinity. His son uh, Brad is on the uh, board of directors for the Music City Bowl. Oh, so that. you have you have some connections there. That's not the only reason why they Purdue got picked, but the fact that Purdue plays an exciting brand of football. They have Jeff Brom. And some they exciting have, players. They have Rondell Moore. Right. 
Uh, so, and you're, you're, and the one thing I think the Music City Bowl wants every year, they want a team that can drive, or they want a fan base that can mm-hmm. that can drive. So you're in a a a five to six hour window from a bulk of your alumni and your fan base, where they can get down there. You know, they can leave the day after Christmas, spend yep. two or three nights in the Nashville area. It helps the economy. Uh, you know, you have Auburn. They can drive. Mm-hmm. So it kind of works out for, for, for Nashville that they, they, get, they get these two teams where it's not, it's, not a, it's not a huge hurdle to get there. And it makes it more accommodating. There's plenty of things to do down there. But, yeah, I think Purdue's viewed in a pretty positive light here that you would think as the program inches forward and uh, they, they continue to bring in uh, exciting players like Rondell – that you know, you're if you get to seven or eight wins, who who knows where that lands you down down the line? Well, and I also think that this is a big opportunity for Purdue based on the op- the opponent that they get. I don't know a lot about Auburn. I know that they were seven and five this season, but to get matched up with an SEC team and especially one that not that long ago was playing four national championships was in that kind of conversation. That's a that's a real opportunity for a program to to potentially go on if especially if you can win that game I think you can hang your hat on that in a different way than you can when you're playing Arizona or or whoever. Uh, yes, that's that's true. I mean Auburn was uh, preseason top ten. Mm-hmm. They were they were being discussed as you know one of those uh, dark horse teams for the college football playoff. If you remember, their first game of the year was against Washington, so that was kind of a made mm-hmm. made for TV game that they got put together. Uh, so they, they were viewed very highly and they've, they've underachieved, I guess, if if, if we're using the preseason ranking as the, the benchmark, but yeah, uh, if you can knock off a, an Auburn team, even though they seem a little dysfunctional right now with their offensive coordinator leaving to go to Kansas right. and, and less miles, uh, then yeah, I mean it's 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 a nice win, and you know Purdue was an underdog last year against Arizona, and they're an underdog this year, and you know they they probably are, will feed off that a little bit, but um, you know you know part of you know to me the bowl game the, the winner of bowl games are the are the teams that are motivated, number one, mm-hmm. and Jeff Brom is four and zero in bowl games, so I think it's safe to say that his he figures out a way to motivate his team, yeah, uh, to get them to to play well. Uh, in in these events, and you know, just being motivated and being hungry to to finish the season off. I, you know, they were last year, no no question. But if they you know if they can finish the season off again at seven and six, uh, with a win over an SEC team like Auburn uh, on a, on a national stage, it's a day game. You know, between Christmas and New Year's, a lot of people don't work, so they'll be tuning in and uh, looking at their bowl charts to see who's, <laughs> who's you know, see if they're, if they're going to win their little pool that they're in and stuff like that. But it's a, it's a really, a, it's the best spot that Purdue could have hoped for being at, at six and six. Auburn is seven and five. They lost five games, but they won that game against Washington. And then of their five losses, four came to ranked teams. The only other one, the only one that's a quote unquote bad loss would be one touchdown at home against Tennessee. But I mean, the other teams they lost to LSU, Mississippi State, Alabama, obviously. Uh, I'm forgetting one. Georgia. So again, I mean, <laughs> they've they, they've seen the best teams in the country, and they, and they didn't necessarily win those games, um, but they did beat some other really good teams. And um, I just think you're playing in a different 
uh, you're playing in a different arena when you get yeah. to play a team like Auburn. Um, and it's a, it's a chance to showcase your program. I think I think you get more just casual interest in from from an important part of the country too. Potentially, um, you get some exposure in the southeast from a, a place that you'd like to recruit more as opposed to the west coast. Yeah, I mean Purdue has two commitments from the Nashville area mm-hmm. uh, in their 2019 class. And I asked Jeff the other day if this this opens more doors or you know how do you view the Nashville area? And he called it a fertile ground, but also said that you are. Uh, when you go down there, you're fighting SEC schools. Not yeah, you're only, the outsider. Not, not, yeah. only, not only Vanderbilt, but you're fighting everybody else from the SEC coming in there because that is SEC territory. But if you go if you go down to the Nashville, have a good showing, then you know that op- that's going to open up some more doors for them from a recruiting standpoint. And you know, if, and if people remember a few years ago when the whole satellite camp thing started. Daryl Hazel and his staff actually went down to Nashville mm-hmm. and had a camp down there uh, during the summer. So the Purdue name is is down there, and uh, but this this is going to this will give them an, uh, an opportunity to really emphasize it. And you know, if, and again, if you come away with a win and you look good doing it, then um, you know who knows where that leads down down the road. Speaking of recruiting, um, you know, one of the things that kind of hung out there in the Brom, the Brom watch 2018 was what this was going to mean for the 2018 class. Does that seem pretty solidified? Or 2019 you? class, the 2019 class. Yeah. I'm sorry with, we're two weeks away from signing day. Basically. Does that seem uh, pretty solidified? Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard, I mean, I, I guess anything could happen. Uh, but I think that the class is pretty well intact. The coaching staff has been out making home visits to all those, uh, all those guys. They'll get, to all of them by the time they sign, I think 13, 14, 15 of them may be coming in for official visit the week before signing day or the weekend before signing day. That doesn't mean there won't be movement. Um, and a lot of that may depend on availability, you know, who, who all of a sudden pops up at the last minute. Uh, and grades also play a role in this as far as who's going to make sure their academics are taken care of. Uh, so there's, there's still some, I guess there still could be some moving pieces, uh, the way that I've, the way I see it, they probably have one or two spots available. You know, they're keeping one for David Bell from Warren central, uh, the, the receiver, the talented wide receiver who will make his announcement, uh, at the U S all American bowl in early January in San Antonio, similar to what Rondell Moore did last year. Uh, so they, they have a spot for him if, if he says yes. Uh, and then, you know, we'll, they, they'll see what else shakes out um, at that point. But right now it's a top 25 class. If you get David Bell, it's, does it become a top 20 class? I mean, I would think. Yeah, I mean, you start to – yeah, you're, you, just, you keep climbing that ladder. And I think that would be a big moment for Purdue – Again, we're talking about exposure and and how much you know, that's kind of what Purdue is buying a little bit every time it gives Jeff Brom a raise because they know that he's out there in a, in a way now on kind of the national level in in a in a way that we haven't had that Purdue hasn't had around here since Joe Tiller and um, if you can have two guys in two years go put put a Purdue hat on um, on national TV at that game I think that is worth something. If you get one guy, if Purdue could get one guy a year to do that. I think they're in pretty good shape. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I don't know if you always want to. You'd, you'd probably like to have some of these guys locked up uh, <laughs> before yeah. then sometimes than, than having to wait it out till January. But I would say the schools probably know. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes they, this yeah, is, I think I, but last year when it happened with Rondell Moore, I don't know that it was still a mystery it was going a, into it that It was day. a suspense for probably a lot of people. But, but not necessarily for the coaching staff. So, right. Yeah. I think they were comfortable. But until that happens, you just don't know. Sure. And, 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 and then again, until they sign, you, there's always that, you know, change, can they change their mind or does somebody else get to them type of thing. Uh, so until they actually sign the letter, you, coaches are always a little leery of, of, of feeling comfortable about, about recruiting. Going back to the bowl game for a moment, Purdue uh, knows it won't have Lorenzo Neal for that game and it won't have him until – for several months he's got a torn ACL as we talked about last week that seemed like it was the likely diagnosis um it thinks it may have Jacob Thieneman back thinks it may have some other guys back do you think there's enough time for them to get relatively healthy other than Neil going into Music City um uh I, I think Jacob will play I think he's determined to play but he needs to add some weight uh he lost I think he told us the other night, ten to fifteen pounds. Mm. He's he's getting that back a little bit, uh, but then you 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 would wonder how long he can hold up in a in a game like that. How many snaps he can play and still be effective? You're talking about a senior who's trying to play his last, maybe last football game ever. <laughs> right. But so. still, you want him to be effective, and right, you don't want uh, to put him in danger. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a it's in a way it's a plus minus because the minus is you lose Lorenzo on the line. The plus is you would get Thieneman back, who can. Who can help you in the in stopping the run? He's mm-hmm. not a defensive tackle, but has played run support really well this year. Uh, so the Neil loss uh, is going to be big, in my opinion. And there's just nothing, you know, Purdue just does not have a replacement for him, and similar to not having a replacement for Thieneman, uh, right. you know, even though you replaced him with a Thieneman, just the younger <laughs> younger version. It's not to disparage Brennan at all. He's just not at. He doesn't have the experience that Jacob has. Um, and, and uh, no two Thienemans are alike, by the way. <laughs> but uh, if you can get him back, that that overcomes a little bit of Lorenzo. But you just you can't replace a three hundred and fifteen, three hundred twenty pound guy who who was playing well. I mean, he really was. I mean, he was he was taking on double teams. He was a factor on that defensive line. It was somebody that the offense had to pay attention to uh, all the time, and that freed up you know some other. Some, for some other guys to make some plays as well. But now you're looking at how um, they're going to shuffle off, shuffle all that together. And, you know, Jeff Brown mentioned, you know, potentially another guy on the defensive line that, that may not be able to play because of, uh, of, of injury. Uh, so now you're looking at some, some serious shuffling going on uh, on that line and how that looks and how that alignment looks once you get to the December 28th game will be, kind of really interesting to follow yeah i mean i think if you were picking who on that defense could purdue would purdue miss the most you probably put bailey one and then either theneman or neil too i mean those and and you know this is an all big 10 caliber guy i mean he literally was i think he was honorable mention or was right. he third, so i mean he's you know you can't take very many of those guys out of the mix no. especially on purdue's defense i they've done a pretty decent job kind of cobbling something together this year um, with with such a young group, but yeah, I think that that's a huge loss. Just because, like you say, they don't have a lot of depth there. They haven't all year. Um, I think they they built it up a little bit, but if you're going to miss him and then somebody behind him, um, that's going to be a pretty big challenge. And I don't does that. So then, do you have to look towards 
a freshman class or or something like that to help produce that depth even for just one game? I think it would be really hard because if those true freshmen were ready to play, they would have been playing. They would have been playing. You would have saw maybe saw you would have had at least one of them in the game against Indiana, at least for a series. I just find it hard to believe that they're comfortable with any of those guys playing right now. Now you're going to go up against an SEC offensive line. Right. Uh, and you got to remember, these, these bowl practices, they have 15 of them. First of all, Purdue's not going to use them all. And second of all, they're not really high-intense practices, at least the ones right. that are going to happen later this week on Friday and Saturday. They're just more to let's get the rust off type of thing. Right. There'll be some... They'll, they'll do some more serious and intense stuff once school's over. And, it's like uh, you got finals next week. Yeah, you start getting in the game planning and stuff like that. But um, I, it doesn't – I'm not discounting that a freshman can't step in there and, and see a snap or two or maybe for a series depending on what happens. I mean, if you have another injury or some, something happens where you need you need some bodies, they're going to they're gonna get in there. Uh, but – um, the fact that none of these guys have really been on a travel roster up to this point, to me, tells you kind of where they're at in the in the development process. Now, I think you can take everybody to the poll game, so that won't be an issue. Uh, you know, I don't think you're regulated on the number of of, of players you can take. Uh, so that's that's really interesting. Well, I would expect guys maybe to move around more, maybe take a G- Giovanni Rivera, move him inside, uh, and then plug his position with somebody else mm-hmm. because you know probably Giovanni is probably destined to be an inside guy once this is all said and done mm-hmm. uh, so why not just do it now taking the Jalen <laughs> Robinson route yeah just do it now and get it over with and let him let him start getting his work there and and lead up to the ball and then you just you're jumping in the spring ball after that I mean the bigger deal with Neil is whether he's ready to go next year because they're not going to be they're going to have just as little depth really for the start of next season. In well, Jeff said that, um, now this is Jeff Brom, the football coach, not Jeff Brom, the medical guy. Right. He said he should be ready to go by fall camp. Okay. Everybody, everybody recovers at their own pace. Right. You know, we never saw Richie worship this year. Uh, and he, he suffered his torn ACL in, uh, uh, in November mm-hmm. of uh, 2017. So he never, he never practiced once. Uh, but then you have, Elijah Sindelar, who who played with it, and well, it was back and, and and ready to go. But different positions, different body types, different right. The whole thing, and a lot of it is once they get in there and see what is actually torn and needs fixing, we'll probably determine. Jeff thought that it was uh, just a clean ACL tear. That mm-hmm. was it. There was nothing really, nothing more to it. But until you open up the knee and figure it out, then. Then you go from there. I mean, every body is different. Um, Sindelar was doing it for the second time. I think that helped as far as how he could probably approach his rehab and all those things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued to see because I just feel like that's he's potentially a star on this defense next year uh, if they have him. But then if he's if he's not, if he's one of those compromised guys, you remember when Danny Anthrop was coming back from his ACL tear, and uh, you know, again, uh, uh, one of those not a Lorenzo Neal body type by any means, but he, he didn't, it was tough for him to come back that, that first year. He really didn't get back in stride for a whole nother year. And um, it, it, that could really compromise them next year if, if they don't have Neal. Um, well, we'll be talking much more about that in the coming weeks. Hopefully not talking anymore about coaching searches for a while. 
Um, I wanted to talk about basketball a little bit. They're not in a, the same situation football was early this year with that 0-3 start, but um, they're 5-3 and now. They've lost three of their last four games. All those are the ranked teams. Uh, two of those came on the road, including Saturday's game at Michigan. Um, and I don't think they played very well at Michigan, but I also don't know how much it mattered. Michigan is really good, and they played really well that day. I don't know how much of it you got to see, but they, they came out just, just torching them. Um, and uh, guys who don't usually hit threes were hitting threes, and some of them they were hitting because of Purdue getting caught in switches, and some of them they were just hitting over Purdue's guards too. Um, and I, I think it's possible that that could be a bit of a wake-up call for Purdue. They had these two losses to Virginia Tech and to Florida State, um, one on the neutral court, one at Florida State, then they were in both of those games. They had a chance to win both of those games and could look at both those games and say, well, if we just played a little bit better in, in a few ways, you know, we would have won that game. But they look at this Michigan game as one where they were just never in it. I mean, it was 3-2, to two, and then before you knew it, Michigan was up by double digits. They were up by 20. Um, Purdue got it to 12 with six minutes left or something like that, and then Michigan scored eight straight points, and yeah. that was it. So I, I think it just it, it helped maybe give this team a truer sense of where the gap is from where they are and where they want to be. I'll ask you this question. What's the best game Purdue has played this year? The best game Purdue has played this year? Um, probably the Virginia Tech game, even though they lost. Would that have been good enough to beat Michigan? No. Okay. <laughs> no, they and it wasn't It wasn't good enough to beat Virginia Tech on a neutral court. It wasn't going to be good enough to win at Michigan. I, I, they, they, my point is that tells you real, how far maybe they are from what we would consider the top of the league right now. Right. doesn't mean that they're at the bottom. It just – maybe shows you how you know where the work is and the development still has to take place and you know Purdue I don't I don't know if Michigan comes to Mackey Arena they don't that they was don't. the one meeting yeah. this year well but you know it's also this one you know one game type of thing and you don't you don't do the referendum on one game type in basketball but um it just I to me it just kind of if Purdue would have played its best probably still not going to beat Michigan on that day and that's what I said going into this stretch. I thought that was true of this whole five-game stretch that started with the the Florida State game, then Michigan. They were at home against Maryland this week. Then they go at Texas on Sunday. Uh, the Maryland game's Thursday at Texas Sunday. And then a week from then, on Saturday at home, or neutral court against Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame being the quote-unquote worst team they'll play in that stretch, but not a not a horrible team by any stretch. And I, I, th- I said, this you're entering a stretch of the season where you can play pretty well and still lose like that's that's a possible thing that can happen in sports you can play good and the other team is just better that night or the one ball bounces their way whatever and they they win that game that happened by the way twice last year when Purdue played Michigan they Michigan played pretty well Purdue played pretty well Purdue won both of those games uh, at Michigan and at home and um, that the team that went on to be the national runner-up so it, it shows you how how that how close Purdue really was in some ways last year to to being that kind of team, but it's it's that's not how it works out. So um, I, I am interested to see though. You know, I thought all along part of this process for Purdue was going to be not just taking one game at a time as far as how you're preparing for games, but taking one game at a time as to not letting the the bad linger a little bit with especially with a young team. And you're coming off of you had a, the lead at Florida State with just a couple minutes to go, it looked like maybe even a comfortable lead, and it 
you blew it. It slips away. Florida State takes that game. You're never even in the game at Michigan. And how are you letting that, how are you processing that, and how are you not letting that sort of build and become start to become a negative thing? And it, it, last year when this happened to Purdue and they lost those two games in the Bahamas, they're back-to-back. And you got to go out and play that third straight game. And it, it helped them that they won that, and then they won 18 more games in a row after that. But here you're kind of getting, you know, the loss happens and you get a few days to prepare for the next game, and then a loss happens. And you got five more days, and I'm I'm just I'm curious to who's going to step up and kind of be the the positive leadership um, presence on this team and help them kind of persevere through this. Yeah, I didn't think the loss at Florida State lingered with Purdue in the Michigan game because Michigan was just that good. Yeah. Uh, but now that you have more time, I, I don't know if it would have been beneficial for Purdue to play Monday or Tuesday like some other Big Ten teams did, or the fact that they need they needed a little bit more time to kind of kind of recover, not maybe from the Michigan game, but maybe recover from the Florida State game because that was a game they had. They 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 were down, came back, had control of it, and didn't and didn't put it away. And that to me, that's the one that's that's the one to me that's the one they have to recover from. You know, Michigan happened. That's just that's just the way. You know, they were they were much better in that night. But now, can you come home? And really put that Florida State game to bed if you're if you're if you're faced with the same situation again. Well, I think they I think they needed probably a mental break after that. I mean, you know, traveling to Florida State, traveling to Michigan, I needed a mental break, so I'm sure that they <laughs> did. Um, and I have the easy job in this whole thing, so they probably need that day. This is a team that, especially on in that Michigan game, I don't know if you look at anybody and say that guy played a really good game on both sides of the ball for all thirty or whatever minutes he was in there. I think. A lot of guys, whether they were if they were performing really well offensively, they were getting caught in some of those defensive lapses. And even if they were defending well, they weren't doing much on offense. Um, you know, I, I wrote a piece about how in all three of these losses, you're getting a, a you're you know, Carson Edwards taking his huge chunk of the offense, and it's not been a very productive huge chunk of the offense. And partially, I do I think he needs to play better or more refined, however you want to say it. But he also doesn't have a lot of help right now um and especially within even that starting lineup you've got guys who are who are not respected i don't think very much by the other defense and that, that's kind of forcing sometimes edwards probably to, to feel like he has to, to shoulder more of this load so they they need these couple days as much as it, it, it might have been a good thing for him to go right back on the court after michigan this team probably needs some practice time to, to work through some of these things this what what they've learned about themselves through these first eight games well as, as talented as carson is he he's in a much different role than he was last year yeah and he's got to figure out how he's going to lead this team not maybe from a vocal standpoint, but just how he's going to lead. You know, is he is he going to be the guy that stops the the eight zero run by the other team, is, or is he going to be the the guy that's going to take a six zero run that Purdue's having and turn it into a twelve zero run? I mean, to me, that's his value. That's his potential value on this team, and he and he's got to you know he's got to figure out where he fits, but also where everybody else fits, and how how he can help these other players step up in crucial situations so you don't blow a lead at Florida State. Uh, so maybe you get out of the gate a little bit quicker at, 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 at Michigan. And, you know, it's still, you know, it's December. It's, you know, there's an evolving process here. You know, it's not the finished product. 
and, and nor will it be. But these these are games where you you figure you figure some of those things out. So when you get to January, at least to the middle of January, things start to fall in place. And if you're still having these same discussions in the middle of January, then you know you're probably looking at a um, a tougher season season than maybe than maybe than what you expected. And I agree with what you're saying about he needs to be the guy to be like the stopper and the extender that sort of thing. But it doesn't have to come from him necessarily making shots. No, no, and, that's what I'm saying. He and, needs to figure out who's going to do what. He needs to figure out his teammates. Yeah, and what what they're what they're good at and when they're when they're going to be good at it. You know, Matt Painter worked for three years, uh, or I guess two years. You know, the past two years it was about getting Edwards to understand that there were a lot of other talented people on the floor and how to work within that and still be a high-volume shooter, but it, it worked. I mean, it did last year. I mean, he rose to where he was um, individually. The team was really successful. It won 30 games. I mean, that was a successful year on both sides of that, but it wasn't a smooth ride to get there. There was, you know, some words exchanged during games. There was a game where Painter sat him for the last eight minutes, the first half or whatever it was. There was there was some of that still going on. And then this year, you know, I feel for Edwards a little bit because now it just gets flipped 180 degrees. Now it's we still need you to be really efficient, but you need to do a lot uh, because you don't play on that kind of team anymore. And the, these other guys may be on their way there someday, but I don't know how soon they're going to get there. Guys like Aaron Wheeler and Eric Hunter, like maybe this, maybe it's not by the end, even end of this season that they're guys that are that reliable yet well time will tell with that but it, it it's a it's it's it is part of a process that's still being worked out and that's what I kind of keep trying to remind myself even as you're trying to analyze this team remember that you everything we were writing going into this year was we kind of don't know a lot about what this team is and we're still sort of figuring that out oh yeah I mean you're still going to figure it out and you'll there'll be something to happen Thursday against Maryland that oh well they got to figure that out and then when you go to Texas and when you play when they play Notre Dame, but you know again as you as you flip the calendar 2019, you know I think those you know coaches don't like to put you know dates and you know paint themselves in a corner, but I I, I think just you need to start seeing some different things once you get into the uh, uh, the the calendar the new calendar year just to to have an idea of where the the true potential of what this team you know, could, can't accomplish this season. By the way, we're starting to see the true potential of the Big Ten, which looks like it's pretty darn loaded uh, compared to where it's been in the last few years. I mean, you and know. you got to play 20 games. you got to play, <laughs> yeah, and you do. And, and uh, you know, in some ways, is, is Purdue fortunate that it doesn't play Michigan twice? Or um, <laughs> do you want another shot at them considering what it can mean for your, your postseason I don't think resume? It, or I don't whatever, think it but, matters. I mean, um, I think the league is really, really it's tough and it's going to be – I mean, it's just going to be a bloodbath throughout the, throughout the whole year. I mean, the teams that were thought that were going to be, you know, the quote unquote bad teams. You know, Rutgers looked really good actually last night in the loss at at Wisconsin, um, and and Illinois has some talented young players. I think you know, I mean, they're only two and six right now, but you know, that's not a game I would take lightly if I'm playing them. So um, I, I think it's going to, you know, Purdue. Thursday is a big game. You don't want to fall behind 0-2 in the league this year because it's going to be that much harder to climb back into. I think you're. this looks like a year where you're going to get seven, eight teams even maybe in the NCAA tournament, but um, there's 14 teams, and they're, a lot of them are really, really good this year. So, Well, I think they just needed a little bit of, from a confidence standpoint. You played uh, you play Virginia Tech really good. 
you played Florida State really good, you played Michigan really good, and you're 0-3 against those teams. So you, just when you look long-term, you need, you need to beat a team like Maryland at home, not only just for the big time, but just as you start looking ahead to the NCAA tournament and when they start looking at your, the quality of your wins, and then you're going to have to go out and win some road games because you know, based on the new net or whatever it's called, the formula, uh, it, it appears that winning on the road is a much it's bigger huge. deal than it even was last year. And I, you know, I think that's more of an emphasis on non-conference games, but still, the your conference games are going to take take they're going to be factored into that. And you know, I just think this team probably needs just a dose of confidence to to make sure you know just to reassure themselves that everything's okay. And if you can get a win on Thursday, you know maybe you can take that into a Sunday game at, at Texas, and that would be a nice quality road win for them you know, heading into finals and heading into the, the last piece of this stretch. They may not need a win, but they definitely need to just play well yeah. Thursday. I think they need um, a, a game where they don't feel like they gave it away a little bit. I think they felt like that. I know they felt like that about Florida State. I think they even felt like that a little bit about just playing poorly in a stretch at Virginia Tech that cost them. I think they, you know, I mean, to some extent, you maybe you're always going to feel like that after you lose a game. But they just need um, to. They just need a, a good game to kind of put behind them what happened on Saturday because that was not. Um, I mean, you saw some of the post game comments from the players. That was not an effort that they were very proud of, and um, they, they they've got to. They well, know they have to do better. Was it effort or was it just okay? They just they just. By effort, I mean, yeah, effort I don't mean necessarily play hard. I think effort I just mean in terms of execution and awareness and, and just playing basketball. They didn't right. feel like that was a good um, representation of the basketball they can play. And um, that, that's where I think they, they feel some um, – if they have a chip on their shoulder Thursday night, I think that's what it will be about a little bit. So uh, that is going to wrap up this episode of Boilers Extra. Um, follow us on Twitter. I'm at NBearJC. He's at Carmen underscore JC. Look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play. Uh, we're, all, we're out there a whole bunch of places. Subscribe, rate, all that stuff. We'd love to hear from you. And join us back here next week for another episode.